everyone, and welcome to this summer mini episode of Dogs Unknown. I'm your host, Sarah Frazier, joined by fellow host, Brian Burton. And we are really excited for today's episode. I think it's a topic that's going to be super helpful and relatable for a lot of people. If you are the guardian of a dog with maybe a more complex behavior profile, even if you're not, but especially if you are finding the right care team to work with them and with you can be a real challenge, whether it's a trainer or a veterinarian or a pet sitter or a boarding kennel. When we're speaking specifically about the behavior and training field, I think this is made a lot more challenging by the fact that dog training is an unregulated industry. You know, it's something we've talked about in the past, but it can be really difficult to figure out what someone's credentials actually mean, what experience they hold, and what types of techniques they're going to use to teach your dog and to coach you. So, You know, the other part of this is even if you find, if you're fortunate enough to find the person or the team that you really like and trust, learning when and how to advocate for your dog versus maybe to just trust and follow the lead of the professionals that you're working with, even if you feel maybe a little skeptical about about their recommendations initially, can take some time and it can feel intimidating or like just uncomfortable. So today we are so, so excited to be joined by Instinct East Harlem client, Kate, who is here to share her experience with finding the right support team for her dog, Tegan, and also to share a bit about how she's learned over over time to become a better advocate for her and for Tegan in the process. So welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I feel like it's a brush with fame. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're so glad you're here. And thank you for suggesting the topic in the first place and then for agreeing to come on as a guest once we we asked you to do so. So yeah, I think this is going to be a really helpful conversation for people. Yeah, thanks. The joke is on my team, if you put your hand up, I will call on you and assign you. So I should have known what I was getting into when I suggested the topic, but... um, (laughs) I think well, we, we appreciate important. you agreeing to come on and talk through it. And I think just a side note for everyone listening today, we're going to be focused mostly on the training and behavior side of things today. But I do think this conversation really does expand to all types of care professionals like veterinarians, groomers, daycares. You know, it can be hard to find the right match and then to advocate for your dog in all aspects of the care realm. I think we can relate to that as humans too, yeah. uh, and our own care professionals. So, you know, this is maybe expands even beyond our dogs. Um, So Kate, before we get into some of the specifics about finding the right team, can you just tell us a little bit about your and Tegan's story, like how you came to be his human and and what led you down the path of deciding maybe you needed to seek out training and behavior help? Yeah. Tegan would love to hear you call me his human. He would absolutely agree with that, that Tegan is often called the overlord in our household. He is in charge of everything. Tegan will be three in September. Um, He is a COVID puppy. I got him when I was living in Boston. Um, He's a terrier poodle mix. So high strung and lots of drive and has a little Bichon to make him extra attached to me. I know I'm watching your face, Sarah, and I know. And I got him during COVID when I was home all of the time and I shockingly have behavior problems. Um, I just, I appreciate you calling in right away the different sort of breed aspects and how that might contribute to his behavior because that's, that's really helpful. So sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say that I love that as part of the description. Thank you. One of the things that really helped me with Tegan was figuring out the kind of dog he was. And I know that you guys have talked about that before. And it doesn't define him, but it definitely defines, I think, how he learns and what drives him. And I think a couple of important points. I knew the moment that the owner handed Tegan to me that there was something not right with Tegan. He was screaming. um, And it went beyond just a puppy who was a little bit nervous about being separated. It's like he was so uncomfortable. He was 10 weeks old. 
we'd had dogs growing up. I like was like, there's not, that's not right. Like there's something not right. Then, well, maybe he'll settle in. We'll just get home. He's had, it's been a long day. Um, he grew up out in a rural part of Massachusetts near where I grew up. He was raised by a family that we knew. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just really hard for him. And we got home, a flat tire on the way home. So it was a very eventful drive home. We got home and I thought, okay, like he'll settle in and, and we'll be mellow. And, and I, it didn't happen. Um, and I also didn't really worry as much about it because I was home and I just thought, well, maybe like I'm home. He just needs more time with me. Um, we lived in a quiet part of Boston. So we lived in a, a building that was not completely full. It had really big elevators. There were not a lot of dogs in the building. And so what I thought were Tegan's full behavior problems, I really came to realize uh, when I moved to New York with Tegan. Um, and when I moved to New York about two years ago, I think it was a combination of separation anxiety that he had had, um, which was real. And in Boston, he dug through to the subfloor of my apartment inside of five minutes of being mm. alone, all the way through carpet, wood, padding, wood again. And things they had learned about Tegan, like he didn't like to be crated. He didn't want to be where he couldn't see me, but he was okay if he was behind a gate. Those just hit massive explosion when we moved to New York. And we live on a very busy street. Um, in a very busy building with small elevators and a lot of dogs. And it really, I think the move, the change, the the change in scenery, the change in having to be around other dogs, like I really, we hit this wall of, of like, I, my dog isn't even a dog I recognize anymore. He's so unhappy. I'm so unhappy. Um, we can't possibly go on this way. And so that's sort of how we ended up being at instinct, but he is, um, we, I know we were talking about this before we hit record. I have a photo wall of him. He, he is the absolute love of my life. He is the star of my Instagram. He has a stroller with flame holograms on it that he rides around in with no shame. He loves his stroller. Um, and he is this really cool, funny, happy dog. He just has his quirks and has his things about him. And I, I, I often think if he didn't live in New York, he probably would be a happier dog, but we live here. And so how can I help you be a dog yeah. that hopes and, and can live your best life? Oh, that's there's, there's like several points on there that I don't, Brian, Brian, you might want to chime in on too, that I really love that you touched on Kate. Like I think one for people to really, really hear is, you know, you got Tegan when he was 10 weeks old. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, and there were things sort of evident right away. And sometimes there may even not be, but this whole notion people have of like a blank slate, yeah. like you're getting a puppy who's a blank slate and then people heap all this blame on themselves for, you know, if any sort of behavior issue develops. And I think it's so, so helpful for people to realize that like, there's so much there already. And that doesn't mean you can't like do work and make progress, but there's so much there yeah. of who they are as a being that's outside yeah. of our control in terms of being able to like mold this being like clay somehow. So I love I, that you highlighted that part of it. Yeah, I think Sarah, it's it's really interesting you picked up on that because I I hadn't owned a dog myself. So it wasn't like I had this idea of what I was getting. And um I look back now and think, well, you know, he had been sleeping with the, this little girl and he was really attached to her and he's changing scenes and he's changing snares. Like I should have done more research. I should have found out were they a better breeding family? Like what did that happen to Tegan? What was the reason that he hadn't been adopted with all the other ones? But I didn't know. And I went through this really long period of feeling really guilty or not wanting to say to people like, yeah, I got my dog from a breeder and I didn't, because you feel like the first reaction is like, we well, should have known, like you should have asked, you should have mm -hmm. looked into it. And 
I'm like, I didn't, I got Tegan and he was who he was from the moment that I picked him up, which is equal parts fun and gregarious and hilarious Mm -hmm. and deeply insecure and attached and unsure of himself. And when you put those two things together, it's like you love your dog so much, but you also feel like I don't know how to help you, mm-hmm. but I'm aware that you need help and and I need to try to help you be the happiest dog you can be because it was never a choice for me that I was going to give Tegan back. It's like I made this commitment. I got you. You're my dog. I can't just say, oh, gosh, no, you're not really the dog I wanted. So I'm going to give you back and try again. It's like, that. no, you're, you're my animal. I made a commitment to you. I want you to be the best you can be. Well, and I think it's nice to sort of highlight that like, how much you, and it comes across so clearly and no wonder, cause I mean, Tegan is like a hilarious fellow, <laughs> you know, like he's like, he's really easy to fall in love with and can be really stressful to live with and finds life stressful himself. And I think it's like that intersection of the two, like, it's okay to talk about the fact that maybe you're struggling with certain behaviors or that this is really stressful for you and for him and be madly in love with them and post fun photos on Instagram. And, you know, like both yeah. of those things can coexist together. That's right. Um, and that's okay. And normal. And I mean, it's just sort of life, right? Like it's messy. And, you know, to also to be fair to other folks out there, cause it would be okay. Truthfully, if you had said like, you know what, I don't know if I can provide a good home for Tegan. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm up for that. And that would have been okay for, for you to say, or for someone else to say, you know, if someone was really was in that position, but it's nice that you found yourself at a point where you're like, Hey, I have the, you know, I have the resources and mental bandwidth and energy that like I, and I love him. And I just, I think I can make this work. So like, let me try, you know, I'm really glad you said that. I think there are two pieces I'm going to quickly talk about that I'm very aware of. One is that I'm financially able to really commit a lot of time and training to Tegan in a Mm -hmm. way that not everyone is. And I am incredibly aware of that. The we joke I would be driving a new Ferrari if I put that money aside instead of into Tegan. Like I'm very lucky that that is a decision I'm able to make. And two, the reason I found instinct and some of our current care team at instinct is we, Tegan and I were outside of a little outdoor space at my apartment and I'd been living here about three weeks and it was just bad. Like it was going Mm. badly. It was really bad. I'm tired. He's tired. We're so stressed. Cannot, I cannot live like this anymore. And I'm, we're going to take one more crack at this. And if I can't get it, you're so unhappy. That's incredibly unfair to you. You deserve to be happy. You can go live somewhere else. And so I'm glad that you, you called that out and reminded us. And I would have felt okay about it. I would have said I did everything within the means of what I had at the time to try to make this a partnership that could work. And I couldn't get there and I need to do Mm -hmm. what's best for my dog, not what's best for me. And, And what's best for my dog might really have been for Tegan to go live somewhere else. Yeah. And even at that point, I, I would argue, Kate, like, it's okay to do what's best for both of you. Yeah. You know, but, but I love that you expanded on that a little bit. Like, I think it's really important for people to hear that. And then I think the last piece that maybe Brian, I don't know if you want to touch on is, is I also love the piece of this that's like highlights the role that environment plays in behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that too, just because <laughs> a dense urban environment like New York City, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's your first dog with some um, challenges to work through and you were in a really difficult environment. It's sort of like that's a really, really steep learning curve. And when, so when I was listening to you talk about things and, you know, you said like, you sort of felt like, oh, like I should have known this or I should have asked this. Like no one's going to know that. Like most people are not going to know what questions to ask. And honestly, there are 
there are really good behavior consultants and trainers that get a dog from a breeder and the breeder does everything right and they get the dog and they still have behavior challenges. So even if you had to ask, like even in a different world where all those things were asked, like you could still end up in that same position. And I think the other thing I want to add too is like, you know, sort of touching on, you know, like, should he be in the city or, or not? And there's definitely clients I think who, uh, get some judgment thrown at them. Cause like, why is this dog in the city? And it's like, well, what other magical home is there outside of the city? Like if, if I have to live in New York city and I mean, I mean, rehoming can always be a potential option, but like, that's not always an easy thing to do. And it's not always an option either. Mm-hmm. And so like, we sort of have to do the best we can to help them cope and, and adapt what we're doing to help them sort of thrive in that environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I, I just want to, uh, I want to touch on that because I, I know clients have sort of felt that judgment before, and it's that's just not, it's just not always a realistic option. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was an important moment to realize, like, yeah. hey, we've got to get some help, right? And I, mm-hmm. Egan has been in some form of training, um, really as soon as I could, right? I wanted to socialize him. Okay, we're going to do puppy school, and like it was not the right puppy school for us and figuring, okay, that's not the right school. Like we've got to find a different one. And then we went to a group class at a place that he had gone for daycare with a trainer that he liked. And that was great. But then the next trainer wasn't the right trainer for us. And so I'd I'd had some practice trying to figure out how do I build the right care team for my dog? I think that the real Delta moment for me that was like moving to New York and realizing I've got pretty good basic skills and I probably know more than the majority of my friends who own dogs because I have a tough dog, but I'm totally out of my depth and I have no idea what I'm doing and I don't know how to help Tegan. And because I can't help Tegan, I can't continue to live like this either. Yeah. And I think knowing yourself and knowing your dog, I often say, I think Sarah, you said at the beginning, sort of credentials and dog training, that is really a piece of it. I'm excited we're going to talk about it, but I try to remind myself all the time, I am the expert in Tegan that I know Tegan better than anybody else. I know based on how his tail is, what his nose looks like, it can tell you he's going to react 10 seconds before he's going to do it because I study him all the time. Could be could be partially why Tegan has a bit of an attachment disorder as I'm equally obsessed with Tegan, but that's a different podcast with Dr. Levine and I listen to it often. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I love that. And I think we'll, we, we will dive into that a little bit more as well. That's sort of like you knowing your dog really well. And sure. what I would love to circle back to, I think you started to touch on it and sort of you had some different experiences with different trainers and some were positive and some were less positive and you probably learned from all of them. So I guess I'm wondering like, what was that experience like trying to find a behavior professional? You can speak generally or maybe more so when you're at the point, that critical point of like, you know, the Delta moment of, I, we really need help right now. And I'm also curious what criteria you had going into that in terms of like choosing someone like a person or a team that you felt like was right for Tegan and for you. Yeah. Uh, So what's interesting about the story is that I'm an advocate at work. So I work in patient advocacy. We Mm -hmm. do a lot of big public health awareness campaigns. That's my professional training is how do you advocate and it, I struggle with it in my personal life. And I think you hit on this, right? You're kind of trained to like, this person is an expert. They know better than I, you know, I, I should follow what they're saying. And there is often this push pull that happens, I think, between what I know in my gut or what I feel and sort of what my brain is telling me because you're conditioned to just not be difficult or not be obstreperous. Just go, go with it, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so for me, I try to really remember that I'm the expert in my dog and I'm the expert in my life and I know what I can commit to. And I think with all of the the different classes and trainings that Tegan has gone to, it's always been for me about like, is this person, this trainer, this instructor speaking to me in a way that I can really understand what they're asking me to do. And Mm -hmm. it feels like a realistic thing I can do in my life. And is Tegan responding to it? So the first puppy class that we went to, we walked in and every other puppy was like a room. First was a room full of doodles, which is hard because they have so much energy and they're so bouncy. And Tegan was like, I'm going to be over here. If you could all please stay away from me. I would Mm -hmm. really appreciate that. He didn't gel with the class. He didn't want to hang out with the dogs. He wasn't super interested in socializing. And I was like, you're not having fun. And I'm paying a lot of money for you to have fun and you're not having fun. Why are we doing this? Why are we getting up at seven in the morning on a Saturday to come here to put you in a room of dogs you don't like with a trainer who doesn't really spend a lot of time with you and you're not getting anything out of it. And so it was like, we're just not going to go back and we're not going to do that. And that's not going to be a thing that we do. And I think when I look for classes or trainers for Tegan, that's what I'm looking for. Like, does he like, has someone thought about the environment and who else will be in it? Does the trainer or the instructor match me? Are they going to break it down in a way that I can understand? I'm an example learner. So I need you to teach it to me by telling me what it is like or telling me what it will look like or feel like or be like, because that's how my brain puts together the scenario that we're going to recreate. Like when Tegan does a downstay, you want it to look like this and you want him to stay like this. You can't, I don't learn really well if you just say you're, he's going to go down and stay and you're going to walk away because I'm like, well, mm-hmm. What if I walk away and he gets up after five seconds? Is that a win or is that not a win? Like I really need, I know myself and know how I need to learn. I think the the classes where we've not done well have been classes where the instructor can't do that. The instructor is locked in their way of explaining it and can't deviate to explain it in a different way to the individual dog. Mm -hmm. I learned pretty quickly that classes were not going to work for us for that reason, that I really needed the individual one-on-one explanation because Tegan didn't do it the way every other dog did it. So the first puppy class was a failure. We found another class. That class was great, but it was four dogs. Tegan loved them. It was really small. It was with a trainer we already knew. We graduated to the next class. It's 12 dogs. It's in a noisy facility. And it was a trainer that just very much had her way that she was going to teach you to do it. And this was the way the dog was going to learn it. And this was the way the dog was supposed to be. And we didn't fit that. And I think one of my great regrets in self-advocacy is I didn't quit that class. I just kept going back. I kept thinking like, well, she's this great trainer and we love this facility and all the other dogs are getting it. And maybe Tegan will get it. And Tegan did not get it. Tegan, you know, she would hold the leash and Tegan would be choking himself and she would say, oh, he'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll get over it. And I look back now and I'm like, no, like that was not fine. And he is not going to get over it. And maybe other dogs do, but my dog doesn't. And I think that has been a a underpinning for me of, am I learning? Is Tegan learning? And how do I put us in a position where we can both learn well, understanding that group class is not the place for us to do that, that my mm-hmm. dog doesn't learn at that pace and he doesn't learn that way. And um, there was another dog in that 
big dog class. It was a big Doberman. Um, and that dog also hated that class. And I remember talking to the owner and feeling so much solidarity with her because we were like the two class rejects. So every other class, every other dog in the class can do the down and the stay and the owner walks away and then you get to us and it just is this, you know, you're supposed to walk around the circle and our dogs are losing their mind. And instead of just moving on, the instructor makes the whole class wait until your dog can do it. And then it's embarrassing because, well, now everyone's watching me and my dog fail and we can't do this thing. And I, I didn't have instinct. I didn't have a family of people to say like, hey, that's totally fine. Like, that's not a failure. That's just, it's not the right class for your dog. And so it really, I think, made me question, is my dog ever going to get it? Is it is this like a thing that Tegan and I can ever do? And I think when I look back, I give myself a lot more grace and compassion than I did in that moment. But my God, that like really felt like such a failure mm-hmm. of Tegan just can't. Tegan just cannot get it. And so we switched, we switched after that. I was like, well, we're not doing that again. We are not graduating to whatever class comes next. So, and we're definitely not repeating this class. Um, and so we switched to one-on-one training. And what was interesting about it was the trainer that we picked was actually not a credentialed, like super credentialed trainer. And she had basic dog training skills, but she spoke Tegan and Tegan loved her and respected her. And she spoke to me in a way that I was like, she knows my dog she wants what's best for my dog and she's willing to be creative and she's willing to Mm -hmm. try new things and take really small steps. We're not going to get Tegan to stay in a room by himself for 10 minutes, but what if he could just lay down as when you walk away, let's work on that. Um, Whereas every other trainer was like, this is the goal we're supposed to be going for. That's where we're going. Mm -hmm. And I think her willingness to be very flexible and trained to my dog was a moment when I realized that's an important thing for me and need her to train to the dog, not train to the goal that we're supposed to be getting. Um, And she was also the first trainer that I saw progress with. And I I texted her all the time. I still text her. She lives in Boston. I I live here. I still Mm -hmm. send her pictures of Tegan's wins or things Mm -hmm. that he does because she was also the first trainer who taught me to celebrate even the, like the littlest, tiniest win to celebrate it. And she was so excited with me. And it's that for me is another piece of a good trainer is I need to feel like you are really a partner with me in it. I can't, if I just feel like I'm your client and you're training 25 other dogs and like, right, who's Tegan again? Like, that's not going to be a good match for me that I am a person who likes a, a team for my dog. And I need to feel like you are invested in his success and interested in his success the same way that I am, because then it lets me feel vulnerable enough to share a what might seem like the tiniest, silliest win, or to say we had a total backslide and Tegan jumped on this woman in the lobby and she lost her mind. She went for a tetanus shot. and like It was so ridiculous, but she did it. And like, I'm trying to be, you need a person that's also going to absorb all of your anxiety and neuroses as the owner of a, a tough dog to let you be vulnerable to talk about that. Well, I think what you, to me, what I hear a lot of from that is like just the importance for you and Tegan of having like what's a truly collaborative process. Yep. You know, like really, really and truly collaborative. And to your point, I love the point too about not trying to reach just some sort of like it's almost like sometimes trainers have goals that they feel like dogs should get to. But it's really is like, what are the shared goals of this dog and this owner? And how do I help them set like realistic goals that they want to get to and then kind of help like we're we're supposed to be facilitators yeah you know yeah instinct was the first time 
that anyone ever asked me what I wanted to achieve for Tegan. It was the first place mm-hmm. that someone didn't say, okay, so we're working on X, Y, and Z. Even our most wonderful trainers, I didn't have a place to say, here's what I really want for my dog. Like, here's what I would feel okay with. And it, I think that we call it shared decision-making at work, but that collaborative mm-hmm. process of like, well, what do I want? And what do you think is achievable? And I need you to tell me if what I want is realistic. And I need to hear what you think we're going to be working towards. And then we're going to agree on what lives in the middle of that pie chart to have it feel collaborative. That's important for me in a care team and and being able when you don't feel that collaboration or feel heard to identify that you don't feel heard, that it's not the right partnership and move on is, is really challenging. And that is Mm -hmm. the thing that I have struggled with. I still struggle with um, because it can feel personal. It feels like you're firing this person when in reality, you're just saying you're not, it's not the right match. Um, it's not that you're not good at what you do. You're just not the right person for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know. And that's, you know, as as people who generally are going to care a lot about what we do, just like you, I'm sure care a lot about what what you're doing, like in your professional life, you know, it's th- th- that can still hurt. Yeah. But you yeah. learn over time to say and get better at knowing, like, I don't know that we're the right match. And do we need to sort of shift you to someone else on the team? You know, it's, and that's okay. So, you know, a lot of what you learned, it sounds like was through, hard earned experience in terms of how do you figure out, you know, like who's right for Tegan. So, and, and for you, so I guess what advice do you have maybe for people who are at the stage of just starting to look for a trainer or behavior consultant? Like how can they learn from your experience in, t- in terms of finding, <laughs> you know, f- hopefully finding someone, you may not be the first person, yeah, but starting to suss out and evaluate, like, does this person or this company feel like they might be a good fit for me? Yeah. Don't go to the puppy class where they let your dog choke because you walk away. No, I think I got better at picking a care team when I got clear on what I was looking for and what I could commit to. I think that Mm -hmm. was an incredibly important piece for me of what's realistic for me to be able to do because it let me line up. What is this trainer telling me they want? And is that a thing that I can do? Um, If you want me to be training my dog two hours a day every day, I can't do that. If you Mm -hmm. want me to be home with my dog every day, I can't do that. I these are the realistic pieces of my life that we need to work around. If we can do that, you're the right fit. And if we can't, this is not the right fit for me. I also think finding a place where a person is willing to have a conversation with you before you're a client is incredibly important. I've um, had consults with trainers and I don't mind paying for the consult. You sh- you, you're not working for free, but where they don't want to do it, it's, well, do you want to hire me or do you not want to hire me? And it's like, well, I mm-hmm. want to know if I want to hire you. And mm-hmm. I can't know that if I don't talk to you or, or understand you before. Um, being able to hear and read about other people who've worked with that trainer or that facility is really important to me because I often will look through for someone's comments who sounds like me or someone's comments who sounds like Tegan and try to understand what was their experience. How did that line up? And I think even within that partnership or that relationship, as you go constantly, do I feel like I'm heard? Do I feel like I'm achieving these goals? And if I don't, can I have a difficult conversation to say, Hey, I don't understand what you explained to me, or we're doing this and it's, it's not working. Your way of teaching this is not working for my dog or for me. Can we adjust? And if there can't be an adjustment, being willing to say this isn't the right fit. And when we've changed trainers, it's a really hard conversation to say, Hey, listen, 
we've tried. Jane, this just is not working. I really want to try somebody else. It's not personal. You're just not the right fit. It's a hard conversation, but it's a better outcome on the other side of it. So I I think not being afraid to have that. Um, And I, I look for what I want. So I want Tegan to have access to outdoor space. I don't want to send him to a place where he's in a group training class because I know that's not going to be the right fit. I don't, you know, when it comes to daycare, I don't want him to be in a big room full of other dogs because he doesn't do well. So how do I really know what I need to get out of it and then look for places and people that match that? I don't ask for a lot of popular input and opinions because I think what works for your dog won't necessarily work for another dog. But if I know what I'm looking for, hey, I'm looking for a trainer that trains like this, or do you know anyone who has a dog that's had separation anxiety what results have they had? Those things are helpful. And so I think those would be my my pieces of advice. The last piece I would say is that I've considered and not worked with really big name national popular trainers who are the experts in it. I'm like, it's not the right fit for me. Like I can't do virtual. I can't do remote. I need to, so not being so married for me, not being so married to someone's credential, but being married to how they're going to fold into the kind of training that I can give my dog is, is much more important. Yeah. I love that. I, I do too. Um, and I, I, like, I think that that's such an important point because I, I really do believe that if you have a trainer who maybe isn't even, you know, as experienced as some other trainer, if trainers, if they're willing to listen, if they're willing to be collaborative, if they're willing to set priorities that work for you and your dog and, can help you get there in little steps. Like that is, in my opinion, going to be a much better experience and probably get much better outcomes because there are some people who are, they have like a, you know, 8,000 credentials. And I know we're one of those people. So yeah, it's like an alphabet soup after our name, but like, I like, I, yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. Like, and you will get that out of a consult. I, I think that's one of the things like with a consult or some places do like discovery calls or whatever. And it's sort of, are they actually listening to what you want? Like, what are your priorities? Because really, at the end of the day, we can't we can't address everything all at once either. And so it's really important for a trainer or a behavior consultant to have that skill to be able to help you prioritize because you might not even realize what your priorities are either. So I think like that collaborative approach, like let's help set priorities. Mm-hmm. Let's know what we're going to focus on. We might need to set that milestone, like where are we trying to get to? Because I do think that vision casting is really important, but then it's like, okay, so that's where we're trying to get to, but then those little steps along the way and how do we provide that guidance so that we know if we're progressing or not. And I really honestly believe too, one of the, the most important traits of any trainer or behavior consultant, regardless of experience, is that if they don't know or get stuck, can they just say like, hey, I don't know what to do here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach out to other other colleagues in my company, or if they're, if they're a, a solo act, they're going to ask, a, you know, there's lots of Facebook groups and trade organizations out there where they can ask for help. And so I think if you have a trainer who says like, I don't really know what to do here, I actually think that's a positive thing because if they can go get some feedback, you might be able to make some progress or they might be in a a place where they say, Hey, I don't know if I can help you move further. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm the right fit for you anymore. And and sometimes that can happen too. So I, I I really loved all those points and I think they're just uh, super, super important. And if someone can hear that and that helps them make a, a good choice, I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so then I think, and I think, yeah, I think all of that will be really helpful for, for people. And then 
like moving along. And I think Kate, you've sort of woven the advocacy piece into this throughout, which I love, but moving on to even, I think it's sort of knowing and being okay with the idea that even if you then sort of find the right team and the right person or the right person or individual that you're really comfortable with and you're confident about them and you know, they can help you. It's still going to be natural where there's times that you need to still speak up and advocate for your dog or for a change in your program. And I think one of the I love that you mentioned this earlier on. One of the reasons, I mean, one is just because, you know, that's just part of complex relationships and moving through complex situations. Um, so never going to be like complete. I don't even know if synchronicity is the right word, but you know, it's like, we're never going to always be on the same page together, but also because, you know, the reality is as behavior professionals, we have a really broad base of knowledge about dog behavior and and dogs in general but yes your knowledge and experience of your individual dog is so deep and so nuanced even if sometimes there might be like misinterpretations of certain behaviors with owners like you are the expert so even if we really want to help right even if we are so invested in helping you reach your goals like we start out with a more surface level understanding of who your dog is and what their behavior is so yeah. you know we, we learn more by asking questions and like observing your dog's behavior over time, but you help us fill in the gaps by doing some of that advocacy, right? Saying like, that doesn't sound right to me or, Hey, I have concerns about how that's going to work for Tegan. Mm -hmm. Can we like expand on that or explore a little bit more, or discuss different options? Yeah. And I think, um, Sarah, Brian said something that is incredibly important and you honed in on it again, which is like be realistic. And so you also need a trainer who's going to set a realistic goal, right? I have friends who are like, oh, I'm sending my dog to the trainer and she went for a week and she came home and she's not better. And I'm like, okay, well, Tegan is nearly three and is still training and we will be working on this for life. Like it, this is not, you have to be realistic about what you, what a trainer can bring to your, to your dog and to your relationship. And, and I think for the trainer to set a realistic goal and, and, ha and say it in a way that you can hear it. And that's the mm -hmm. second piece to me is like, you're going to have to take tough feedback from the trainer. Our, our trainer right now, she corrects me. She's like, no, don't, no, try holding it this way. Or I saw you do this, try it that way. She corrects me in a way that I can hear and take the feedback and make the adjustment. I've had other trainers who correct me in a way that make me feel like I'm back in Catholic mm -hmm. school. And I'm like, this is not, I can't, now I just feel like I've done something wrong and I'm not sure of myself and I'm not certain and I'm not, now the rest of the lesson is going to be a wash. So mm -hmm. I think figuring out a person that's going to be able to give you constructive feedback and a trainer or a team that can give you constructive feedback and making sure that that's always part of your expectation setting. Um, and I think the other thing that you mentioned that is important is that I am the expert in Tegan, but I sometimes have blinders on about Tegan and a good trainer can be a flag, right? We had um, our trainer at instinct say to me, you know, I, I know that you've met with one behavior vet and this is what she told you. It just doesn't really seem like that's working for you or for Tian. I think you should go back and get another opinion with a different vet. And I was like, no, you know, we saw the vet and this is what she said. And she's the vet and like, they're hard to get in with. And she was like, no, you need to, if you don't, I will send a letter. Like you need to call back and say, you want to see another vet. And here's why you're not making progress. You try to need to see another vet. And that push, I never would have made that phone call. I would have just said, no, like she said to give it time. We need to give it time. That trainer knew Tegan and knew me. And she was like, no, this isn't, you're blind to this and you're missing it. And you need to call back and you need to get a different vet. And I'm, I'm so grateful she did because we found a good vet who I think has a, a different 
care plan that in some ways is similar and in some ways is different, but we would never have made it there if that trainer didn't say you're missing it or you think this just is Tegan, but I'm telling you that it could be different because to Brian's point, like I phoned a friend and I asked somebody right. else or I asked another trainer and they really think you should try this other thing. Um, and so I think that feedback loop is an important piece of a good care team. Is is this a person who knows me and can give me feedback in a way that I can hear it and take it and execute it is important to be successful. Well, and good on you for being able to hear it, but also I think probably the timing of when that came would have been really important as well. Because if that was, say, the message you got in your initial consultation with Instinct, I, you, we probably <laughs> wouldn't be together on this podcast right now. Right. <laughs> you know, because really we would have no business making that recommendation because we wouldn't know you and Tegan well enough at that point. Um, yeah. But I, I love that you brought that up. That's sort of that need for like, yes, the range, full range of feedback and and being prepared if you have like a dog with a complex behavior profile that like in both directions, there's going to just be some challenging conversations sometimes and dialogue and it doesn't have to be personal. It's just really is like, you know, there's going to be stressful times and there's going to be really wonderful times. And that's just part of that relationship. Yeah. Um, so I am curious, you actually told us about a time that you wished you had maybe advocated for Tegan, like in that class, yeah. but can you think of a time when you really did like speak up and advocate for something related to his training or his program? It can be like when you were with, I would love to hear an example of when you were with instinct, if yeah. you have one, yeah. um, and what did that feel like? And how was it like, how was the feedback re- received and what kind of happened like as a result? Oh, Sarah, getting into the tea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, I want to know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there is a there it is rooted I think in recognizing that trainers are great trainers, period, full stop. They're not always the great trainer for you and your dog in the way that you learn. I think when you mm-hmm. can sort of hear the story in in that way, it makes it a little easier. It is about working on departures and separation anxiety for Tegan and um it's a thing I'm constantly working like that's the nut we're always trying to crack and we were working with a, a team of trainers and um, the plan that was suggested, like I made sense on paper, right. Has worked for other dogs and sort of is rooted in the way that we do it. And I think really was rooted in a lot of evidence and fact and asking around and we're going to try it this way. And then that week didn't work. And okay, we're going to try it this way. And like that week didn't work. And we were a few weeks in and I'm frustrated and Tegan isn't getting anywhere. And I'm just like, this is not, this is not working. And, and being able to go back and say, I really respect you. I really respect the kind of trainer that you are, but the way that you are working on this is, is not going to help Tegan. Tegan understands that training is a game. Tegan loves to play games and he loves to please. And so the second that he figures out that we're training it's not real life anymore in his brain. It's now it's a challenge that we're trying to do. And if I can do it and I can master it, I win and I get a treat and then we move. my mom's happy and we move on. And there was just this disconnect where like, I know that that is true. And that is not the way that this training plan is being delivered mm-hmm. to us. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to say I like you and respect you as a person, but it, this is not the right way to do it for me. And I really want us to try this. And being able to go back to to our original trainer and and sort of say, hey, listen, these are the pieces of that plan that I understand fundamentally, but it's not working. And I need to stick up for Tegan and I need to stick up for myself because we're really frustrated and we're not getting anywhere. And we're wasting time and we're wasting money and we're wasting your time and we're wasting my time. And um and I think I felt confident enough in doing that because I'd been a client at Instinct for 
two years. And I know the team and I know you guys, and I know that that's a safe space to give that feedback. Um, it's still really hard. I still think about it and worry about it. And I'm like, oh gosh, you're like really, you don't ever want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't ever want to make anyone feel badly. And you know that everyone has Tegan's best interests at heart, but um, being able to say what you're doing isn't working. And even the way we found our original, our second instinct trainer was the original trainer. I, I said, like, I, you're a great trainer. You're not, this is not the right trainer for us. Like we are just not getting, we're not making enough progress on the things that really matter to us. And I don't feel like I have enough of your attention to get there. Um, and those are really hard moments, but in both of those cases, it put us on a path where we are with a trainer who is the right partner for us, who is working on a great plan, who will reach out and call Brian and call you and say, Hey, I'm working with Tegan on this thing and I don't know what to do. And can you help me with it? That's the right trainer for me and for Tegan. It is not in any way to negate how successful that plan or that trainer is with someone else. But for us, it wasn't right. Yeah. I, um, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it's like, it's so helpful for, cause you know, there's a lot of, uh, dog owners who listen to this show, but there's also like a trainer contingent. And I think it's just so helpful for people to hear that. Like, yeah. cause there's also sometimes like, and Kate, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's also sometimes within the training community, a lot of shade thrown at like people who trainer hop, you know, like, so maybe you'll look at someone who comes in for a consult and they're like, Oh, they already worked with three people. Like they're expecting a silver bullet. And you're like, well, maybe, maybe. and may, and sometimes yes. Mm-hmm. But often it's just, you know, maybe someone's trying to find the right fit or maybe they like, you know, it's also, I don't know that this reflects yours and Tegan's experience, but I know there's also other times where it's just like, this is a journey and you learn things along the way. And sometimes it just takes someone saying something a different way or being able to connect with you in a different way that actually resonates or you're at a point in your life where you're like, I can do this now. That's right. That's right. And, it, and that's okay. Like it happens. Yeah. I think you, um, I learned recently about how people learn. It's like, well, you teach and you learn and they are two totally different tracks that are happening. Like the content is coming out, but your ability to learn from it depends on how that content comes out. And it's not, you could mm-hmm. deliver the same content in five different ways and only one of those five will result in you learning. Right. And it doesn't mean that the content is wrong. It just wasn't said that right way. And I think for me, what it was, was like, this isn't working and you're not picking up on the fact that it is not working and you are not hearing that I am frustrated Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't feel heard and I don't feel like you're hearing me and we're not getting anywhere. And I don't want to keep going down a path where I'm not going to get anywhere. And I think for the owners who are listening, it's like, be realistic. You don't get, Tegan wasn't going to let me leave the house for an hour on our first pass. Like try to see what are the small wins I want along the way. But for the trainers, my advice would be tell your clients what the small wins are to be looking for mm-hmm. and listen to them and, and try to hear, is this working? Is this not working? Could we think creatively about a different way to solve this problem instead of just, this is the way we're supposed to do it. And this has always worked and we just need to keep working at it this way. It's like, well, yeah. maybe for other times, but like not for mine. Yeah. I think that feeling heard piece is something that's just so important. Like if you are a client and you don't feel like you're actually being listened to. Mm-hmm. The trainer might listen and say, Kate, I hear you. Humor me. Let's do this for X amount of time. Because I've seen with similar types of dogs in the past that maybe it starts out as a game and evolves or, you know, or whatever it might be. Or like, hey, I hear you. Let's try these adjustments to make it work better for like just that piece of feeling heard. Yes. Makes all the difference in the world. That's Um, right. 
Because so, you are the experts. And, and I say this every people and single say, oh, you're so you're the dream client because you do what we tell you. I'm like, well, I'm paying you for your professional expertise like that. You are a professional expert in dog behavior training. Like if someone asked me what they should do about patient advocacy in pharma, I would hope that they would listen to me because I'm an expert. Like that's the purpose of retaining an expert. But you also need to feel like that expert understands what you accounts for brings into the consideration what you know about your dog Mm -hmm. and then being willing to your point to meet in the middle like hey i hear you it's not working but like can you just give me two more weeks and here's why i think that i know for me that's a good way to explain it if you tell me why we're Mm -hmm. doing something i often will stop asking you why um but i think having that relationship Mm -hmm. yeah and i also love to just uh, uh is that like sort of time boxing on certain things, I think can also make a huge difference. So if it's sort of like something where I'm a little skeptical about if this is going to work, it's sort of like that question on the, well, how long should we do this and how long will it take for us to know that this is working? Or if it is starting to work, what does that look like? Because I do find that too, is mm-hmm. that can really help people say, oh, okay, so we're going to do this for two weeks. And if the intensity and frequency of the behavior starts to decrease or we see whatever, then we know it's working and maybe we're on the right path. Whereas if we do this for two weeks and nothing's changed, then we should do something. Cause I do think that's a really important point. Cause the other thing too, is sometimes I think owners almost get like, it's like, if things aren't working, it's because you're not training hard enough. Right. Or you must be doing something wrong. Right. And that can happen to owners. And when I hear that sometimes, th- thankfully it's, it's not most trainers, but there, there, there's a section of trainers where I, I feel like that's their, response to any sort of um questions about progress or those types of things it's just like the owner isn't working hard enough or they're not doing it right and in my experience that's usually not the case Mm -hmm. um it's actually what we're choosing for this dog and the owner in this environment is not working we need to do something else and the odd time it is someone who's like really not putting any effort in but that's such a small minority of cases that's usually not it yeah yeah it is. And I think that elasticity of not breaking up with a trainer when you don't get what you want in two weeks, but also to your point, Brian, like I would, I tell every trainer, listen, I don't have a ton of time to give to this. Like I'm trying to carve out time, but I don't have a ton of time. And so I need a training plan that I can do in this kind of time scenario. And sometimes the answer is, okay, let's block it out this way. And sometimes the answer is you actually can't do that. You either need to spend more time on this or you need to accept that you can't work on this right now. And Mm -hmm. and I think that meet people where they but be willing to have that elasticity is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So I know you said, and and I totally agree. It still makes, it still feels uncomfortable, even if you manage to do it. And even if this is like, you know how to advocate. Now, Sarah, I'm like, (laughs) Ask me what is listening? <laughs> no, like what? What advice do you have for people who are in that position where they're like, "Oh, I really should say something," or I, but I'm just I'm feel intimidated about doing it. Like especially yeah. knowing this is you know you have professional background in this as well. I just want to hear from you as Kate, a client who cares about this as well. But like it's really cool that your background is in health advocacy. So I don't know. Like, do you have advice for people in terms of you know actually being able to do it? Yeah. Um, I I will tell you what I need to do. Maybe that will resonate with some other people. I mm-hmm. need to write down the points I want to make because mm-hmm. I find confrontation really emotional. And so it can be cloudy in my head. And so I have a hard time saying what I want clearly in a way that I feel like I walk away and said what I wanted to say in the way that I wanted to say it. And so I am a, a notepad person. So I will mm-hmm. write down like a few points that I want to make sure I make. I also 
try really hard to remember to root them in things that are not personal because I don't want the person on the other end to feel like I'm attacking them. I also don't want them to come back and be like, well, you're a bad client and you don't train tea. So it's like, this isn't a personal conversation. This is about a service that you're providing and me as your customer. And I, I root myself in that. This is a person I have hired to provide a service. It's not the right service. If the mechanic doesn't fix your car, you would go to another mechanic trying to figure out how you can deliver that in a nice way of, you know, we've worked really hard. I call it the compliment sandwich. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful for the progress that we've made. I know that you're an incredible expert in this field. I really appreciate you giving me the time and, and being willing to take us on as a client. We've been together for six weeks, eight weeks working on this. We've tried a few different things. I'm I'm not feeling like we're making progress and I'm not interested in continuing to try other things. I think that's another important piece for me is not leaving the door open for like, well, okay, yeah, you know, I guess we could just give it two more weeks, but really saying like, I, I, we've tried it, I've hit the end. I really want to try to work with someone else. I would value your opinion and your referrals for other people who may be a good fit. For us, we're looking to train on these issues in this way, right? I don't have a ton of time to give it, but I really want to be with Tegan on, on separation anxiety or whatever it is and try to just keep it really grounded in facts and, and really short declarative. Like I value you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for what you've given. It's not the right fit for, and I'm, and I'm not interested in continuing to work on it or it's, I'm feeling like we're not getting anywhere. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are your observations? Um, and then, you know, I, we really want to see somebody else. Could you refer someone or we're going to take a break and we're going to try this other way of doing it. And I hope that we can come back. Um, if that's not the right fit, I hope the door stays open, um, but would respect if you're, you know, you've moved on with other people and just try to be short. Yeah. I like that a lot for sort of the, if you're at the point where that advocating or speaking up is about really kind of moving on. Yeah. And that, yes, just saying it yeah is it can be hard sometimes um but really helpful i'm definitely a like bullet point type of person i know some people have to go full on scripts and that's okay like if that makes it easier for you to just like write out what you're going to say and you might not do it word for word but i know that can really help people cuz yeah conflict and confrontation is just uncomfortable and scary even if you know the other person is not going to respond in a confrontational way right it still just feels yucky to do it and especially if it is someone that you even if it's not, but especially if it's someone that you really are like, I really like this person. Like, I'm thankful for what we did together, but I just, it's time to move on. That's right. Um, and then if it's, you know, even if it's for things like just advocating for like a program adjustment, you know, yeah. Hey, I'm, I, I'm, I think we need to switch gears here. Yeah. Um, I think the other team thing too, is knowing it's okay if you don't do it in real time. Like if you walk out and you're like, Oh, I really wish I had like it's yep. okay to sort of gather yourself and then ask for a phone call or, you know, send a quick email. It's okay if it's not just like, oh, the opportunity's lost, <laughs> you know? And I think the other thing that is probably really helpful to do is almost talking about it before there's an actual issue. So like as part of that relationship that you're building, like, hey, how do we handle things like, you know, I don't know, disagreements in approach or, you know, if we have conflict about how we want to proceed or a lack of progress and saying like, how do we want to approach this together? Because then you're doing it when it's not like you're not in an emotionally heightened state and you're not worried about it. So that I feel like for people listening, that's probably a really helpful thing to do with your training professional as well. Yeah. And I think Sarah, even to your point, before you're breaking up, it's like 
in the moment, I also like to say, well, what are you seeing? You know, what do you mm-hmm. think about Tegan's progress? And and what do you think we could be doing differently or better? What does good look like for you for this thing that we're working on? And what else could we try? Um, mm-hmm. That's how we discovered nose work for Tegan was like, you know what? I think you need to do something to just tire them out. What do you think about trying this? And that wasn't at all part of our training plan or what we were working on, but it was rooted in a trainer was like, I think Tegan needs to be successful independently and do things that make him feel good. Um, and so being able to ask that person, you know, we're working on this. I don't feel like we're getting anywhere. Like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and see what they say and then give that, give that a try. And, um, and being willing before you're like, you know what, this just isn't working. I'm not getting what I want. Yeah. Moving on to ask I, them what they think. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that because I think the other piece of this that highlights for me as well is just remembering, you know, that, I mean, trainers are human too. And sometimes we feel a lot of pressure to be like, I have to get you to your goal and that's what we're doing. And we're going to work on that stuff. And like, sometimes even just asking questions like that can give a a trainer, help a trainer feel like they have permission to sort of deviate from the script and be like, well, actually, I really think we need to focus, switch gears a little bit and focus on A. Or yeah. do it in parallel. So I love that you brought that up as a, a question to ask as well. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have anything else to add on that piece, Brian, but. No, I think that's good. Yeah. And I think I, I love the way of like phrasing it that way. In my, in my mind, that's not even confrontational. That's just like having a conversation. And I know that comes from experience and everything, but I think all of those things are great. And I think if you come into it that way, it doesn't even have to be confrontational. And I think if you have like a good trainer, a good relationship with them, if they hear that, they've probably heard it before. And I think that's really good. Cause yeah, if you come in with confrontation, like you didn't do this or we didn't like, that's going to, that whole conversation is much more difficult to sort of have. And I would bet for people listening to this episode, they're sort of going to land on the opposite side. A lot so. of people will yeah. kind of come in and, and the trainer's like, did they just fire me or did they want to book another package? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I- yeah. To your so, point, Brian, it's like, if you can say to someone, hey, we were trying to get to this and we don't seem to be getting there, or we're trying to get here and like, I don't know about you, but I just like, it feels slow or I don't, what else could we be doing? Like, I respect and value the depth of expertise that the instinct team has, like the kinds of dogs you trained and the years that people have trained. And I want to know what else you think we could be doing. Like, I don't want a trainer who's just going to do exactly my plan the way I want to do it. Like, that would be like going to a restaurant and only eating exactly what you thought you wanted. Like the best restaurants are the ones where like, I wasn't, I never would have ordered that, but they, the way they talked about it sounded so cool and it was so yummy. Like I want a trainer who says things like, Hey, have you ever thought about nose work with Tegan or mm-hmm. you know what? Tegan is a dog who is going to have to come for a camp every couple of months because he really needs time to reinforce it. Are you okay with that? And then when they get to camp, well, what do you want to work on? And then having a trainer says, well, I also think we could try these couple of things. Or are you okay if we add in, I want your opinion and I want you to tell me what you think we could be doing. And I think that's just an important note for what makes a good care team is having people who will say, well, have you thought about this? Or what if we add that? Not just, I want a, that's all I want. I'm not interested give me A or give me death. Like that's all that I want. Um, <laughs> a hybrid, some political quote in there. But um, I think that's important for me is that I don't, I know 0.0001% about dog training. You know, 100% about dog training because that's what you live and breathe and do and want to be good at. I want to know what you think and what else we could try. And um, I think we've, Tegan and I have figured out some of the funnest stuff to do together and made the most progress by 
kind of trying new things or having trainers who are willing to off-road or to say, mm-hmm. I know that you're really worried with Tegan about kids. I'm going to bring my kid. It's going to be fine. She's going to be okay. She's going to throw treats at Tegan. It's going to be okay. Let's just try it. Whereas I would have been like, no, he doesn't like kids. Don't let him near kids. It's going to be so traumatic. And, and just having someone say, hey, like, let's try this. I've tried this before. I think we should try it has been really important for us in terms of our success. Yeah. I love that. I think that sort of circles us back to that original like importance of collaborative collaboration piece and it really going both ways. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Kate. I know I feel like we could talk for another hour and I have some questions that I'm going to skip because I feel like we still got a lot, so much out of this episode for people, but I just thank you again for joining us. Like, I think this is just such helpful information for people and, you know, hopefully we've felt people given people a little more confidence if they're starting to like look for a trainer or maybe they're considering a switch or maybe they're like hesitant to still feeling hesitant to like speak up that, you know, maybe we can inspire them to do that. I think the last question as we kind of wrap up our conversation today is what switching gears, what is the favorite, what is your favorite lesson that Tegan has taught you so far since coming into your life? Oh my God. To uh, Favorite lesson from Tegan the value of just meeting someone or something where they are is a thing that I really get from Tegan. And that is, I am, despite all of my willingness to say, Oh, you need a trainer who meets you where you are and is elastic. And no, I'm very like, we're going to get here and that's where we're going to get. And we're not stopping until we get there. <laughs> I'm an oldest child through and through. We are going here. We are pick up the pace. We've got to get there. <laughs> um, and Tegan has really reminded me that we make the most progress when I just meet him where he is and, and having some patience and some grace for him that he is trying as hard as I am. And he really wants to make me happy and to, um, and you've done this before, but like train the dog you have, like meet Tegan where he is and, and just be patient and be kind to myself is probably the other lesson that Tegan has given me that, you know, you look at every other dog and every other dog owner and they're perfect and their dog doesn't want to bite other dogs or their dog doesn't, you know, they're fine. I can leave my dog for five hours. They're totally fine. And it's really easy to be like, well, why isn't my dog? Why can't I, why can't we? And I just remember that he's doing the best he can and we're both doing the best we can and just be patient and keep working it. And he's the dog I have and um, he's going to get as far as he can and that's going to be okay. He'll still be a great dog. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, yeah, I, that's I love great that. Answer. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, so, yeah, I think much appreciated. Um, hopefully maybe we'll, maybe we'll trick you into coming back again sometime. <laughs> by suggesting another topic in our Facebook group. Um, but that's it. That's our show for today. Uh, thank you so much everyone for joining and we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you.